I know a lot of those situations oftentimes have discomfort, but today it doesn't have to resort in self-pity because that, I believe, will ultimately lead me to relapsing. We're all pretty broken when we hit bottom. That's why it's bottom, right? Luckily, we can come in to a place where everybody wants you to succeed and they are gonna love you until you love yourself. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast with your hosts, Michael L. and Lee M. On this show, we try to bring inspiration for those people seeking sobriety through interviews with members of the recovery community sharing their experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflections book. Each day, a new inspirational passage and a conversation. We are not affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you will hear them mentioned throughout the course of an interview. On today's show, Katie G. from Leesburg, Virginia. Before we get to the show, I'd like to ask for your help. If you're listening to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, I'd like to ask you to give us a rating. It's going to help us expand the reach of the show and give us information about what you like. Greatly appreciate that. We hope you enjoy this episode. Good morning, Lee. How are you? Good morning, Mike. I'm doing great this morning. How are you? Fantastic. Once again, uh, who do we have in the studio today? So today is April 13th, and I have a neighbor of mine actually in the studio with us today, Katie G from Leesburg, Virginia, and she's here to share with us her experience, strength, and hope on the Daily Reflection for today, which is the false comfort of self-pity. Oh, fantastic. Well, Katie, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you very much for asking me. I feel like this is an honor and privilege. I'm glad you guys are doing this and that this is a resource that's out in the world. So welcome. Thank you. So we get started in the same way every day. We ask the guests to read the daily reflection for the day. Katie, would you get us started? Absolutely. Today's daily reflection is April 13th, the false comfort of self-pity. Self-pity is one of the most unhappy and consuming defects that we know. It is a bar to all spiritual progress that can cut off all effective communication with our fellows because of its inordinate demands for attention and sympathy. It is a maudlin form of martyrdom, which we can ill afford. As Bill sees it, page 238, the false comfort of self-pity screens me from reality only momentarily and then demands like a drug that I take an even bigger dose. If I succumb to this, it could lead to a relapse into drinking. What can I do? One certain antidote is to turn my attention, however slightly at first, towards others who are genuinely less fortunate than I, preferably other alcoholics. In the same degree that I actively demonstrate my empathy with them, I will lessen my own exaggerated suffering. That's a good one. So Katie, what's your sobriety date? My sobriety date is April 12th. So a day before this, 2010, one day at a time. My sobriety date is April 12th, 2010. Wow. So congratulations. You just celebrated yesterday. Yeah. 11 years, one day at a time, right? As we're reading this, I'm just so excited for you, uh, for your celebration. But as we're reading this, I mean, he's painting a pretty dire picture of what it feels like to be in self-pity and what the consequences are. What's your experience around that? When I first came into the rooms, I fell quickly and fortunately into a group of women in the program Alcoholics Anonymous. And in the women's meeting, one of the popular sayings was, poor me, 
pour me, pour me another drink. And I believe that that has to do with the false comfort of self-pity. It has to do with egotism and falling into that and having the focus be all on you or on me in this case and being completely consumed by that. And that selfishness is what will lead me to drink. I believe that I came into the program because I was born an alcoholic and I have a solution in in recovery of becoming a different person, a person who is less self-centered and feeling less self-pity. And that's not to say that one shouldn't feel feelings. That's to say that one shouldn't be consumed by this, which will which will pull us away from uh, spirituality and bring us into ego. And when I heard pour me, pour me, pour me another drink, I at first thought it had nothing to do with me because I was the most humble person in the room because I had so, so low self-esteem that I thought so little of myself that I figured I was therefore the most humble not realizing, as one of my lovely female fellows lovingly pointed out, that I was, in fact, an egomaniac with an inferiority complex and that there was hope for even me. And that comes from working with others and shifting the focus onto other people and trying to shift a focus uh, and grow in a relationship with a higher power, all to get out of my ego. So I'm curious. What brought you into the rooms of recovery and what was it like uh, back in 2010? Gosh, you know, it's interesting because the depth of my drinking and drugs are part of my story as well, uh, was such that I wasn't drinking the most I had ever drank when I hit bottom or drinking the most frequently when I had hit bottom. There were definitely parts of my history where the, the consumption was extreme. But what brought me into the room was, as they say in the literature, the 12 steps and 12 traditions, is that I was bankrupt. All my cards, as they say, read zero. I had no self-esteem. I was emotionally unstable. My life was falling apart around me. The isolation was complete. I had either pushed away everyone that cared about me, or they had run away in self-preservation because of my toxicity. And all the while, I'm thinking I'm a victim here. The alcoholism, I believe, led me to believe the comfort that for my spiritual ache was to escape. Um, that was my recourse. And I didn't realize it until I heard from other people's testimony in the rooms when they shared their experience, strength, and hope that what I was seeking was to be different, but what I really needed to do was change. And in the rooms in 2010, as is in 2021, I hear a message of hope that there is always an opportunity to change. And even today, I'm changing. Thank goodness. I pray in my morning prayer and meditation to be a servant and a student to something greater than myself, to something benevolent. And there's, you know, situations in which I can always learn. And uh, I know a lot of those situations oftentimes have discomfort, but today it doesn't have to resort in self-pity because that 
I believe will ultimately lead me to relapsing. And I don't want to do that today. Yeah. I love what you're sharing. I mean, you're talking about a spiritual solution. It's all over everything you say. And, you know, was it obvious to you when you got into the rooms right away that it was a spiritual malady? You know, they use these folks. They use these vocabulary, this vernacular, like spiritual malady. I feel that I was in such a fog when I came in. All I heard was, keep coming back. And that was really all I could hold on to. My brain was so fried and I was so messed up from drugs and alcohol, but just and, and malnutrition, I think, at the time, that when I heard people wanting me there, first of all, wanting, cheering me on, complete strangers cheering me on earnestly saying, come back and where are you going tomorrow? I'll meet you there. That's what I heard. Spiritual malady and a spiritual solution. Heck, even the concept of a higher power or a God of my understanding was just too far beyond me at that point. It would take years, one day at a time. And that's why I think it's so important for newcomers just to keep coming back. This is a cool journey. It's the greatest show on earth that I know of. There's so much that's going to unfold and be revealed, but little, little by little, poco a poco, indigestible bit. Love that phrase. So how long did it take you to get into the program of recovery and to start working the steps? I was so concerned that someone would figure out I was an alcoholic that I didn't tell people. So I'm going to these meetings, having a hard time saying I'm an alcoholic in the meetings, even to a room of alcoholics, like they're going to judge me or something that I went, I was living in Fairfax and would go to Sterling. I'd never even heard of Sterling before. I just knew it was just far away. It was on the other side of the moon. I would go there. I would drive all the way into DC just to space out all these different meetings to pick up chip to avoid being recognized knowing the whole time that the joke was on me, that it was apparent to everyone that I had a problem. (laughs) People had known for years. In fact, I didn't tell my family for two years that I was in recovery and they were relieved. They had noticed the change immediately. They just didn't know what it was. When I came in, I did make one meeting consistently. It's a Thursday night women's meeting and it was my second meeting and I still my home group today. And I was uh, assigned a sponsor. (laughs) And she, I know it's supposed to be suggestions in AA, but I I was delegated (laughs) to do service work. I did chips and that was a great opportunity for me because it it made me responsible to show up to that meeting. I'm not sure I would have come back to that meeting consistently as I was, you know, trying to scramble across the DMV area the DC, uh, Maryland, Virginia area to go to meetings to remain anonymous. And um, CHIPS was great for me, handing out medallions for uh, lengths of sobriety because it had me get to know people's names. I had a cheat sheet where I would write people's names down because I wanted to be part of so badly. And I would learn things about these people and I'd write down things that say I'd carry a notebook to, to all the meetings. I wanted to get an A apparently in this, in this program and giving people hugs was uh, a, a blessing I desperately needed. I was so isolated from, from other human beings 
that those hugs and clapping and the cheering just was like a complete release of endorphins and dopamine and oxytocin in a healthy non-drug or alcohol-related way that I needed to rewire my brain. (laughs) So service and steps um, via a sponsor was was pretty soon. And thank goodness for that, because I'm not sure how long I would have lasted trying to hide in the rooms. It sounds like the program caught you. (laughs) My girlfriend says that um, God brought her to AA and A brought her to God. And I absolutely believe that. I, I was borderline atheist when I came in and I started to read the literature and with it a dictionary, a Merriam-Webster dictionary. Now there's apps on phones for all of this. And looking up the word providence and benevolence really rocked my world. And seeing that there, there was something that I didn't have to define that was carrying me through. I, you know, you asked earlier, Lee, what it was, what it was like coming in, that spiritual awakening term. I mean, I, I couldn't see that if it was looking me straight in the face. But growing in this program, I, I think growing up as a human being in this program allowed me the grace and space to, to eventually see what that means in my life and how that plays out in my daily living, where I just wasn't, I didn't have the capacity for that um, in early sobriety. So thank goodness I kept coming back and got to where I am today. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you made it. Service work is so important. I'm curious what that looks like for you today. Some people that, that are listening might not be in the program. They might not understand how it works. And um, I always like to ask folks, like, you know, how many meetings do you go to in a, in a given week? And do you intend to do that for the rest of your life? And how does that work for recovery? Great question. You know, the great thing about the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous is that it is a spiritual program that doesn't define what your spirituality looks like, right? It doesn't define uh, what your God looks like or how you pray or how you meditate or necessarily how you're of service. It just gives suggestions for you to find your own guide. I have a sponsor. She has a sponsor and I sponsor women. I like to refer to my sponsor as my tour guide through this adventure. And that's how I like to see it with my sponsees. Uh, As far as service goes, they talk about that here in this daily reflection. They also talk about it in the big book, which is our loving term for Alcoholics Anonymous, where it says that nothing will ensure uh, immunity from the next drink, like intensive work with another alcoholic. And I believe that. So I try to take every opportunity I can while still living a life in society uh, to be of service And to me, that means service in and out of the rooms. And that's just my personal philosophy. So in the rooms, I have sponsees. I have two sponsees specifically that are both on the 12th step. So they're about to um, be open to sponsoring women. And that thrills me beyond belief. I also do phones for intergroup. And for lay people, I say that's just a crisis hotline for AA. And uh, I held and hold all kinds of positions, secretary, chips, and literature, and treasure, just whatever I can to be a humble servant, as they say, to keep the meetings going, to make sure that they're there, 
for the next person coming in the rooms. And then outside of the room, you know, it wasn't until a year six or seven for me that I had the realization that I wasn't meant to get sober and live in an AA bubble, completely, I mean, insulated from the rest of the world. My job is to be a functional member of society and to go out and live these principles of the 12 steps so love and hope and courage and introspection and spirituality and service and do that outside the rooms. And I do that in unlikely ways, like in professions, which I believe is just another way for me to love and be of service and capacities and to people that I never would meet otherwise, <laughs> never would choose to hang out with, but I get to work with them and love them like in a, in a brotherly way and then do work in the community through various organizations. And that does keep me sober. It gives me esteem, you know, they, with the self-pity, I like this date because it's one day after my anniversary, which means it was one, it was the, it was two days before I would actually walk into a meeting in 2012. I didn't actually walk into a meeting, I think until 14th or the 15th. So I was just floundering and in self-pity at that time. And one of the ladies in a meeting, it must've been on a Friday, said, we grow self-esteem by doing esteemable things. And I had so little self-esteem and just self-pity and that, you know, that egomania and inferiority complex, as I was talking about earlier, that I, through examples, flipped that on its head and started gaining true esteem, true stature by doing some simple things, simple things like saying no or saying thank you or saying sorry when I did something wrong and not saying sorry when I didn't or, you know, changing, making coffee for the meeting, showing up early, um, making phone calls, answering phone calls, which is really, really scary for normal people or introverted people, let alone people new in sobriety. And I mean, even some life stuff like showing up to work on time or having good hygiene. I mean, I just didn't have that when I was towards the end of drinking. And by doing all of these like little tiny nuggets of esteemable things, I started to build self-esteem. And I started to have enough self-esteem and enough self-confidence and who I grounded and who I was that I could start really caring for others. I think, Lee, you and I have been in a meeting where we've heard the phrase, they'll love you until you love yourself. And isn't that a great one? And it's true. You know, I don't think anyone comes into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous or any recovery program on a high note. I mean, we're all pretty broken when we hit bottom. That's why it's bottom, right? Luckily, we can come in to a place where everybody wants you to succeed and they are going to love you until you love yourself. And then you get to pass it on to somebody else. That's beautiful. We want to thank you for for coming here and sharing with us today. And um, as we wrap, I'm wondering, is there is there like a final, is there one thought that you want to make sure those folks that are listening get to hear? You know, we have a lot of catchphrases and slogans in this program, but keep coming back is really the the root of it all. Uh, Keep coming back and don't stop until the miracle happens because miraculous things are going to happen. 
Well, Katie, thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing your experience, strength, and hope. It's been a wonderful conversation. What a blessing. Thanks so much for asking me, guys. So glad you came, Katie. Thanks so much to Katie G for joining us and to you, the listeners. Appreciate your support. If you want to join us online, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Reflection Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.